McNulty stunning for to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the PO Forecast, episode 151. I'll be your host, Freddie Webb, and obviously this is not a regular thing. Hugh is bedridden after a dentistry operation. He's got some sort of illness and tooth pain, so we wish him well, but he was obviously very interested in what news broke on Friday. And with Andy trekking around the outback looking for poisonous animals, uh, it is me who will be hosting and editing the show this week. We originally recorded on Thursday. I had football insider journalist Sam Stone on, where we chatted about Josh Griffiths, Joe Rafferty, and the speculation over whether we'll sign a striker or not. But obviously, we have, and, and most of that podcast was completely voided, but some of it will be in. But thankfully, I managed to get a friend of mine to step in this morning to discuss the latest transfer news of Marcus Harness being sold to Ipswich Town with Pompey loaning Joe Piggott the other way. And that guest is Christopher Proud. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back on. I, I feel like I've been promoted from the reserves again. Like it's, you know, I, I'm very rarely on this podcast, but, you know, I, I always feel like I get brought on when something quite big happens and I'm quite glad to be here. Yeah, well, well obviously we, we needed someone with strong opinions and I, I knew you would have a strong opinion. Oh, about I've transfer. got many. I've got many. So <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> So we're going to be breaking down the Marcus Harness part of the transfer first. He was obviously sold to promotion rivals Ipswich Town. For Portsmouth, according to Transfer Marks, Harness had 134 appearances, scoring 32 goals and 22 assists. One interesting part about this transfer, broken by Chris Wise on Twitter, who is a BBC Sport reporter and commentator, he tweeted the following... Ultimately, this summer was was all about necessary change at Pompey. The squad needed revitalising. Harness to Ipswich might seem a little odd, and the club haven't got close to what they paid for him. But the extra funds could change where Cowley is shopping in the days ahead. Proudy, what is your initial reaction to Pompey selling Marcus Harness to a promotion rival and what potential fee we might have got for him? I think I think when the, fir- the news first broke last night, I was very frustrated because I think there was so much talk about Harness going to Swansea or maybe going up to the championship. There's a few championship clubs apparently chasing after him. There were fees of like about 750,000 like banded about. So I think it was very frustrating at first to see that he's gone to Ipswich. And obviously that was uh, sort of like some sort of swap deal with Piggott coming in alone. But I think looking looking at it now after sleeping on it, I, I don't know whether like Ipswich obviously offers like a bit more money up front than, you know, like the other clubs offered and hence why we've sold them there. But, you know, I think it's, 
I, it's it's kind of hard. Like I'm I'm in two minds about it. Like you know, obviously it's very frustrating. We've strengthened a promotion rival or promotion rival. I'm saying quotation marks because you know both of us didn't do like the greatest last year. But at the same time, like you know, money's money, and like we've stressed so many times, like over the season and over the summer, uh, how we need to reinvest into the club, and some of our prized assets are going to have to go. And if it's the case that Ipswich have paid more up front, and it means that we have a little bit more money to play with to bring in, you know like a quality players across the board, then so be it. Yeah, Portsmouth were stuck in a bind on this one. Obviously, Harness had one year left on his contract. That was due to a club extension over the summer to stop him from going for nothing. But it was quite obvious that by that time, Harness, after that year, he would have been a free agent and would have probably gone to wherever he would have liked. So it seemed like Pompey wanted to cash in on his value now and then hopefully reinvest that money in other areas of the squad. From a purely business point of view, Proudy, did they do the right thing in selling him now rather than potentially risking him going on a free at the end of this this season? Yes, I, I suppose so. Coming off the back of his most successful season, I think, like attacking wise, like in terms of numbers, I think this was the best time to sell him. And I, you know, I, I think it's it's a case where you know it's it's like, are we going to replace Harness or who are we going to replace him with? And I think that's what's the most frustrating thing. I think if we had players already at the club who can come in into where he plays as like was whether it's number ten or whether it's the right wing, I think like people wouldn't be up in arms about it as much. Yeah, you have to think like business wise, like we don't make as much money down in League One like selling our players. So the more money you can get from like, your prized assets, then you're just going to have to like sell them. And yeah, I, I hope it does free up some funds for Cowley to like, you know, hopefully, or, you know, the club to bring in the players that Cowley wants. And yeah, I, I don't know what the fee is. And I don't know if we're even going to know what the fee is like exactly, but uh, I'm sure it's a substantial amount and it will help us like strengthen areas that we need to strengthen. Speculation over the fee has been banded around all over the place. Before the Chris Wise tweet, most people said three quarters of a million pounds. Now that fee, uh, I'm seeing numbers ranging from 300,000 to half a million. And we've got to bear in mind since COVID as well, transfer fees mostly in this division have dropped low, unless it's for somebody like Scott Twine, who's obviously one of the better players in the division. But we don't know what that fee is, so I'm going to leave that as conjecture. Danny Cowley said himself that it was the right time to sell Marcus Harness. In the news it was reported, he said that the time was right, in quote. Cowley considered him a key player for his goals and assists and considered him to have championship quality and the deal itself made business sense. Obviously, since the transfer, Pompey fans are split down the middle. There are some fans saying that he's completely and utterly useless, even though he got 11 goals and six assists last season, and he's about as consistent as Boris Johnson's addresses to the media. Whereas other people, I've seen quotes such as from one analytics account that he was one of, the, one of the best forward players in League One last season. Proudy, where do you stand on those two extreme sides of the fence? Are you somewhere <laughs> in the middle or do you pick one or the other? I, I think from a personal point of view, I've always liked Harness. Like when we signed him, I was very excited. I, I think I may have mentioned this on a previous podcast about Harness actually, about how excited I was that we got him. I thought he was very exciting to watch. I thought like when I watched him uh, play for Burton, I thought, yeah, like that's the sort of player I want at Pompey. But I suppose like who for time when he joined us, I, I don't know if it was obviously how Jacket wanted him to play or like obviously how Cowley wanted him to play, but 
he just seemed to lack confidence taking on players all of a sudden. I think a lot of Pompey fans have always said that he's very inconsistent. Sometimes he can have like a 10 out of 10 game the next week. You won't even know he was on the pitch. And there was like, there's, you know, obviously doubts about whether he can cross the ball, whether he can dribble anymore and stuff like that. But I don't know if it's it's just to do with a tactical standpoint, whether like managers see him differently than how he probably wants to play. I think if he allows him to express himself, we may have seen a different player. But, it, you know, I, I will miss him because, you know, he has been a big part of our team for the last few years. But at the same time, he has been part of a team that hasn't got out of this division. And I think if we're, if we're going to, like, move on, we're going to have to start getting rid of players that, you know, haven't done as well as we wanted them to. Essentially, that that is the case, isn't it? And especially since purely from reinvesting in the squad and trying uh, trying to mould into that squad that Cowley actually wants some players that we might have had affinity for might go out the door. I've gone through the analytics of Marcus Arnes for last season to try and dispel any myths and try and actually get an accurate opinion on what sort of player he is, as well as from our experiences watching him. So proudly, feel free to jump in whenever you like. I'm going to go mm. through some statistics. A lot of people have, have mentioned his passing and his passing this season was, speaking of the season just gone, was generally poor. His overall passing accuracy was 68.32%, which was in the bottom quarter of League One for cams, wingers and central midfielders. And all of them played over 900 minutes, so 10 full matches. His accuracy for forward passes was 54.59% in the bottom third for those players mentioned. And then his accuracy for passes in the final third his accuracy was 52.6%, averaging 3.97 per 90. And that was also in the bottom third for passing accuracy. Are we just looking at the wrong areas for Marcus Harness when I read those statistics? Because to me, initially, and then looking at his 11 goals and six assists, is he that creative midfielder that people think he is? Or is he just a more of an aggressive attacking forward instead? Because bearing in mind, not only did he play Cam last season, he played right wing. And he played as one of the free forwards in the 3-4-3 formation. So even though I read out those passing accuracy stats and they are bad, do they matter? Oh, I don't know. It's it's it's, it's kind of hard for us. Well, it's kind of hard for me to try and excite. Like, I, I think like when we signed him initially, I think a lot of people saw him as a, a winger, like a right winger, you know, someone who can attack down the wings, get the ball into the box. And hopefully, and give us more width as well. Like, and hopefully, someone that can beat players and just you know, just get us like attacking down the wings. But I think as his career, Pompey, you know, over the years, like he seemed to have thrived off like playing as a, like a second striker. I, I remember under Jacket, like when we went four four two, I think he was playing as like a second striker, and he seemed to thrive in that. And then obviously he played as a number ten quite a bit under Cowley, and he seemed to do quite well there. And I think he was probably the most creative player we had at the number ten at the time. I don't think we really had anyone who really could you know create as much as he did. So I don't know if that is because of that. That is why his passing statistics are quite generally poor because he's trying to take more risks knowing that you know he's playing in that sort of risky role but at the same time like you know it's um when you look at some of the players you're comparing him to and you said he's in the bottom quarter is is pretty bad i i didn't think it was as bad as that 
I don't know. It's maybe he the number ten. The number ten position has always been quite a challenge to sort of like describe because it, it evolves so much like over time. Like I think you know, loads of people when they talk about number tens, they always talk about Mesut Özil, who's a player that you know always wants to assist, not score. But I think like a lot of the time now, we we have number tens that you know will play beyond the striker, who's more of a supporting role, and then the number ten is essentially the striker. So now they add more goals to their game. But yeah, no. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it, I, I just going to go back to my point. Yeah, maybe he takes too many risks. So hence his passing is not that good. I, I, that, that, that's probably the only explanation I, I have. Think, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, actually. Because yeah. uh, Cowley wanted Harness to be that creative outlook, not in the sense of like, like the quantity of key passes he was doing, mm. but he always looked at him in the final third of the pitch whenever he received the ball to make that killer pass to mm. Curtis or to Hurst. And a lot of the time, just from watching it, that didn't happen. It, that was one of the big reasons why Pompey didn't do that well last season. It was that final pass was always off multiple times. Yeah. And that wasn't just for Harness. That was for the majority of Pompey's attacking players as well. Mm. It was just that little last minute pass was off. One passing stat that he is good at though is for key passes. And key passes, as you know, you might have seen them from Football Manager, is any pass leading to a chance. He averaged 0.64 per 90, which was in top third. And for context, Michael Jacobs, who fans lord over his creativity, his was 0.66, so effectively mm. the same rate. His passes to the penalty area, he has the 10th highest number of passes with 4.3 per 90, but his accuracy of 40.72 was again in the bottom third for those lists of players mentioned. Given that key passing stat that i just given you, does that change your mind at all I think it works both ways like key passes like it, it, it's to do it's, it's to do with both sides so Harness obviously playing the ball and if it finds a player obviously that counts as a key pass if it leads to a chance but at the same time it's the player that is making the run so if, if we're not having players making runs behind the defence which I think we struggled with a lot this year and to be honest we, we I don't think we had the pacey players if, if Harness is playing out wide or yeah if Harness is playing out wide I think we got like pace out on the wings, but if he's playing in number 10, we don't have that pace anymore. And I think Curtis, obviously, is not the fastest and neither is Hurst and neither is Jacobs as well. So it's, you know, it, I think it works both ways and I, maybe his key passes would have been a lot higher if we had players that made the direct run in behind the defence, very pacey, you know, sort of diagonal runs, sort of, sort of thing. Like, I think, like, when you watch it, like, football a lot, like, diagonal runs are such a killer, like, in terms of, like, defensive shape. It pulls the defence apart completely, and we just don't have that. I think the fact that he's he's got like quite key, high key passes, pretty astounding. Seeing as we don't have the sort of players that attack like a defence and get in behind them, it's quite obvious at this rate how Marcus Harness was used in this Pompey side. He wasn't that out and out creative stalwart that the stereotypical number ten did. He was used in a more aggressive way, which means that some of his analytics were poor. One of them, which is actually quite good, is deep completed passes, so passes made in the penalty area and slightly away from it. That was, he averaged 1.03 per 90 and that was in the top third for those players mentioned. Mm. So it's obvious how Harness was used in that regard in and around in the key areas in the penalty area to try and unlock chances. And we know from watching it that that wasn't always good for Pompey and that's why he struggled. He was reasonable at progressive passes, passes at least over a third of the pitch. But that wasn't his main role. But the big thing is his goal contributions. League One, 11 goals from 7.47 expected goals and six assists from 5.41 expected assists. Obviously, his goals 
was well above his, his XG, which makes me think, oh God, is he actually going to replicate that for its switch? Is it is it a blip? Or are his goals, especially I remember the last minute winner against AFC Wimbledon, which is from 25 yards, where he seemed to put no power in it at all, mm. but, or no backlift in his foot, but he was able to just guide it right into the bottom corner. Is it a case of he is as prolific as a forward as we think he is? Or did he just have a season where he went on a tear? Personally, I think he's technically good enough for those goal contributions, but I was wondering what your opinion was. Yes, I, I think like this is probably the first season we've actually played him down the middle predominantly. I, I, I'm actually I'm, I'm intrigued to know whether he played more through the middle than like on the wing. I think I think he played more through the middle this season than like any other season. Do you have the stats for that, Freddie? Or but like yeah, I I think if if he's been played through the middle, I think he obviously has a, a bigger chance of scoring and assisting. If he's been playing on the wing, then obviously, like I think, was it the two seasons previously? I think I got seven in like seven, like all season in the league, and then like five the season before that. The first season he was at the club, uh, and he was predominantly playing on the wing. So I think we managed to unlock something in him which allowed him to score more. I, I meant, and you mentioned the AFC Wimbledon goal. I, I do remember the Rotherham goal when we got like battered away from home, but he scored like an absolute. Stunning goal from about what 25 yards, I think it was. And so, some of the goals he scored, like you can tell that there's a player in there that can shoot from range. He can, he can definitely like score. I, I'm trying to think, some of the goals he scored, there's a variety of goals he scored this year. I, I think there was a few poacher efforts, there was a few, yeah, a few long range strikes and stuff like that. Running and off the ball was very good. Um, yeah. I remember what, what that goal he scored against Rotherham when Hurst completely skinned the fullback on the right hand side. Oh, yes, and did that yeah. long progressive dribble. Harness was right there in the penalty area, whereas under Kenny Jackett, he wouldn't have been. Yeah. He purely would have been on the right side. And his positionally, Scout was a bit confused of this, purely because, as I mentioned, he played in that 3-4-3 predominantly. So most of his games, it roughly splits 50-50 between right wing and cam. Mm. But if you remember from watching him, that front three in the back three, and also for the 4 2 one that was very fluid. So yeah. Harness was moving around all over the place. Curtis was as well. Jacobs was as well. So he did often get into the central areas. The heat, the heat map predominantly looks at him in that section, not right on the right wing, but in that gap between the middle of the pitch and on the mm. byline. So it's roughly there. But he played all over. It was quite fluid. Yeah, I, yeah, he's, he's played. He's played quite a few positions this year. I, I didn't realize that. I think he's. I, I'm sure he played. There was a couple of games he had to play right wing back as well. Like we, we. I can't remember which game it was, so I'm sure we we played an incredibly attacking team, and I think he ended up playing right wing back just so we could fit as many players in as possible. I can't remember which game it was for the life of me. I, I feel like it was Doncaster at home, maybe like when we beat him four 0 So he's he's had to play pretty much everywhere this season. Like uh, I think he's even played up front a couple of games as well. You were so right, but uh, yeah. he was in the right wing back in that Doncaster game. Yeah, that's that's what I, I, I remember looking at the team and I thought. That's very attacking, isn't it? If this doesn't work, I think we ended up with like, what, five attackers on the pitch or something like that? Or, or six, maybe? Because I think Jacobs was playing midfields because we had a, what is it, the central midfield crisis as well. So he played obviously right wing back and I thought he was, he was he did a really good job there as well. So like the fact that he's been moved around the team and to get 11 goals this season, what is he, I think the second top goal scorer in the league? Was it just behind Hurst or is he top? I, I Cannot remember for the life of me. Last season was a bit of a blur now. So yeah, like I, I think he's done really well this season in terms of his attacking contributions. Maybe could have got a few more goals here and there, but you know, for a player that isn't predominantly a striker to get eleven goals, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. No, eleven goals is up there uh, for midfielders. It's 
pretty obvious that the goal contributions was the main reason why so many people like him. I don't I have his dribbling and crossing stats, but I don't have them compared to that large group of players that I have. So he averaged 4.79 per 90 with 51.61% accuracy, which was off the top of my head reasonable, mm. better than average, but not like uber spectacular, not like a proper winger would do, if that makes sense. And his crossing. 3.86 crosses per 90 with 32.67% accuracy. For me, if you're hitting one in three of your crosses accurate, I think yeah. that's reasonable. So again, some of the some of the stats are bad, and, and that links to the inconsistency argument, which a lot of people have mentioned. Throughout those drab Pompey spells, I think just before or after Christmas and beforehand, Harness went missing in a lot of games, but so mm. did other players as well. His sale also brings the number of flair players down. I mean, at Cam, you have Michael Jacobs, who can play there naturally, and yeah. that's it, if you're going with that formation. At right wing, you've got Hackett, who can play there on his wrong foot. Mm. You can, you've got Jaden Reed, he can play there, if you're playing with wingers. Aside from that, much, not much else. Unless you're going with the back three for wingbacks, then you're less... Then, then you're less fast, then you can play whichever forward in the front three as you like, really. Do you think that's what Cowley will go for, considering this sale? Or do you think they'll look for another Cam as well as, well, in my opinion, they need two more strikers, even though they brought in Piggott already? Uh, yeah, I think the number 10 debate has been like troubling us for years. I think we've... I'm trying to think of the last player we had there who you could... Uh, probably like Gary Roberts. Like I think, well, like, Gary, Gary Roberts was like the archetypal creative cam. But then we had yeah. Gareth Evans for Kenny Jackett's second season, who acted. Oh, he, was, more, he was great. He, yeah. yeah, but he acted more as like a like an attacking attacking midfielder. wasn't creative at all. But he always that late run into the penalty area, finding mm. gaps, and you knew he would score because he had an excellent season that season. Yeah, but yeah, I think yeah, like if if we're talking about yeah, creative camps, yeah, Gary Roberts probably the last one we've had, and I think it's troubled us for years. But then again, like. As I mentioned earlier, like the number 10 evolves so often. Like a lot of the time you don't need a number 10 that is creative. I think the way football is nowadays, I think you can you you have the flexibility to have a number 10 that isn't like it could be a striker. Obviously, we we've like we've gone through the bad period where John Marquis was like number 10, which like don't, don't th- that didn't that. that did not work. Like we, we could definitely say that did not work. I don't know. It's 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 essentially I don't know if we actually do need the number 10. I, I think if we play five at the back or we play the wing backs, I think we have the sort of players to play wingers rather than playing the number 10 behind two strikers. I think if we play one striker up front and then play two sort of narrow wingers, so if Curtis and whoever plays on the right wing plays like narrow forwards off like the striker, which at the moment will probably be bigger, like I think that could work. I, th- I think with, there's a case, yeah. I, I don't know if we well, actually the, do the need number 10. Uh, it could be pick it up front with Jacobs and Curtis as those narrow wingers. Yeah. And that also arguably, not very well in my opinion, but arguably fits if you go for the one-two with two up front, because mm. you could have Curtis and Piggott as like mainly strikers with Jacobs yeah. dropping back a bit in the free role where he can do whatever he likes. So mm. that sort of fits. But the depth behind it is Hackett and Reed. And yes. that's it. Yes, it's, it's, not- it's not quite there. For a promotion contender anyway, which we keep on hearing that Portsmouth are from the board and that's what the expectation is. So that's yeah. why we're holding them to that regard. But I think the only thing, the last thing that I will mention on the Marcus Hardis side of things is the perception of this transfer. I think for me, 
many people will see Piggott, uh, the signing of Piggott as getting Ipswich's leftovers, which I think is unfair. I think he's a reasonably good player. Mm. Not on the strikers list that we've been through, but by no means a bad player, even though he's coming off a season where he barely played. But I think the big thing for me is, where is that Marcus Harness fee going to go? I think that is the determining factor if this sale is good or not. If that transfer fee is reinvested in, let's say, a Colby Bishop, or even less likely, a George Hurst or a different attacking mm. fielder, I think that could be a coup for Pompey because arguably they had to sell Harness anyway. If that fee isn't used, then we sold one of our, one of our flair players with a high amount of goal contributions for a striker that Ipswich didn't want. I yeah. was wondering what your opinion on that was before we do a deep dive into Joe Piggott. I think a lot of people are slating. Like, I think you know, obviously, we're not going to be able to get a first choice striker like in, like uh, on loan. Like, it's just not possible. Like, you're, you're not going to have. And Ipswich signed so many players last summer. Like, I I can't remember how many players they brought in. Like, off the top of my head, it's something ridiculous as well. And I think they bought like what was it five strikers as well? Like they ended up with oh, I can't remember actually. Like off the top of my head, I can't remember the the strikers they had. But I think they had Macaulay Bond. Obviously, Connor Chaplin was already at the club. But like, oh, who else did they bring in? They brought in a few like had so many players up front. I thought well, of course, they had Sonia Luco behind as well. Uh, yeah, they also and had Macaulay Bond was there. Yeah, they had Bond um, Jackson Piggott. Yeah, like. Yeah, uh, like, uh, well, their, their, their depth in the forward areas was ridiculous. I remember looking at Ipswich's bench when Pompey when Pompey went away to mm. Portman Road, and I thought if we had a few of those players playing, I think Pompey would be all right. <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's like even like James Norwood was there, like James Norwood's, like uh, Louis Barry, like came in on loan as well. I think like it's, you know they had so many strikers. Of course, Joe Piggott was going to get like be first choice there, and I think a lot of people have obviously talked down at the transfer because. You know, we've as you, as you just mentioned, like it's it sounds like we're getting their leftovers, but like loads. I'm sure loads of Pompey fans were you know saying that we should have signed him when he was at AFC Wimbledon, and if we had signed him from AFC Wimbledon, everyone would be raving about what a great sign it was because of like the good season he he just came off. But because he had he's coming off like quite a bad season, but that's because he didn't play that much. Everyone suddenly like, oh, I don't I don't think that's the signing we need. So, but I, I'd say give him time. And this is a thing we, we need to do more, Pompey. We need to give players time. Like everyone probably slated the fact that George Hurst joined. He didn't score at all for Rotherham. And look what the season he ended up having because he played consistently. I think if Joe Piggott gets a few consistent games under his belt, gets to know the team, he has a sort of like a working relationship with like Jacobs and Curtis or whoever else is going to play behind him. I think we could have a good striker on our hands. I, I generally do. And if we end up bringing in another striker, at least we have the sort of flexibility to chop and change if we need to. And it's not like if we drop the striker we have, we then ended up with a striker that's, or we end up with a player that isn't a striker because we had that so much last season. Before Walker came in, and I, th- I there was, wasn't there a game where we ended up with like two wingers up front? It's just like, it's it's just not, it's not viable like to have that. I give him time, just give him time. Like you got to give him time, like give him time to like mold with the team, understand the tactics and I'm sure we have a good player on our hands. Yeah, I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head there with one, with a major bit there, probably. If I remember when I was sort of very excited if Pompey signed Joe Piggott, I think the majority of the fans were at the time. But the problem is now, whenever you have a player who had an off-season, whether it was down to injury, whether it was down to just 
in in Pickett's case, not being played in that mm. in that sense, there's that doubt of oh, is he going to recapture that form again? Is, is if he's used in the right way, will it actually work? I was going to say we were going to move on to Joe Pickett, but we have breaking news from Andrew Moon from Twitter, published a few minutes ago, relating to Pickett, but also Marcus Harness first, and this is necessary to read. Andrew Moon mentioned on Twitter that two championship clubs put offers in for Marcus Harness, but they were rejected. And Ipswich were the first club to meet Pompey's valuation. Andrew Moon also believes the fee fee is undisclosed, but it is somewhere in the region of what Pompey paid for him in 2019, which was three quarters of a million pounds, including add-ons, which need to be hit. Which This is not Andrew Moon saying this. This could be example goals, appearances, etc., so it's obviously very different to what Chris Rise reported earlier. So there's still, we're not so sure what that fee is, but Proudy, considering those two things that I mentioned earlier, does that make, does that change your opinion? Does that make you feel better? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I, think, I think, you know, they, they the club and Cowley had always said how much I think they valued Harness at. And I think it was pretty much hardwired to us like how much it was and obviously the club the, the reason we haven't obviously sold him early is because no club were coming in anywhere near saying that I, I'm sure there were talks that we were going to get two players back from Swansea but I assume we wanted money as well if we were getting two players like for Harness but I don't I don't know if that would work actually to be fair we're, we're going to be spending more on wages and I suppose that money would cover that but yeah if Ipswich had paid pretty much how much we paid for him then you've got to say fair play especially when he has one year left on his deal and we're in League One it's it's very difficult to get like a lot of money for a player with one year left on his deal so, it, also yeah. shows, so it shows how far away Ponce possibly financially to a certain extent if Ipswich yeah. are doing that and other places Andrew Moon also put some breaking news about Joe Pickett. He, he's obviously brought in on loan for the rest of the season. Uh, we are unsure whether there's an inclination with an option to buy. We're unsure if, whether that's in the clause of the contract. Neil Allen reported the interest in Pickett four days ago and it came up. And according to Andrew Moon, there is no recall clause in Pickett's contract. So he cannot be sent back to Ipswich in January. Obviously, last season, Piggott struggled for time. He only played 963 minutes in League One last season. I use that because his appearances were quite high, but most of them were on the bench. And he only had one goal in that period. Proudly, what are your initial thoughts on Joe Piggott coming in with the fact that there's no recall clause and the idea that last season he was barely played? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's 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 just a case that we have to see. I'm sure he, you know, players sometimes don't fit at certain clubs. They don't fit certain tactical situations or like tactical decisions and or setups and stuff like that. It's it's just a play that we have to give a clean slate. He's he's coming in with a clean slate. Obviously, he hasn't had the best of seasons with Switch. I mean, I was looking just at his stats as well. Like in the first five ga- league games of the season, he played about an average of about 84 minutes, I think, like per match, except for what, uh, MK Dons where he was on the bench. But like he scored twice in those like four appearances he made as well. And both of those games, like he played the full 90 minutes. And I'm sure a load of Pompey fans would know from last season that we had the same thing with Hurst kept coming off the bench, wouldn't really be making impacts. A lot of people like pretty much slated him straight away. He said he wasn't good enough for the team. You suddenly start giving him minutes. You suddenly start starting him. And then he starts scoring goals. He starts linking up play. Like we went on a really good run of form as well when he came in. And then obviously that helped that he then ended up scoring his first like EFL goal or his first professional goal, which did help as well. So yeah, it's, I'm keeping reserved about like my opinions on him at the moment in the case that I need to see him play. 
and we need to give him a chance. That's it. If you give him minutes, players will thrive off that. And I think he will be one of those players, hopefully, that will thrive off uh, getting loads of minutes. That must have been a big change for him because obviously AS in Wimbledon, he was the main man, wasn't he? Mm. I think it is in the season four where he played for Wimbledon, in all of his four to five appearances, he started all of them. He was the man. The entire tactic went through him. And you could see from his goal record that's it, that season, which is two seasons ago now, he was the fourth highest goal scorer in League One with 20 goals from 21.86 expected goals. Slight concern that his goal rate is below as expected, but I will mm. say five of those goals were penalties. Yeah, okay. So that's why the, uh, the expected goals inflates a fair bit. When you have a striker of that pedigree, surely you have to just keep on giving you minutes. Obviously, that was the argument with, with uh, Marquis for ages. Mm. And obviously that tailed off slightly to a certain extent. With Piggott, for, for, from, the, from my experiences watching him, he's got very good close control. And he, he can bring the ball out of his feet incredibly well. And he scores multiple types of goals with, with his preferred foot and head as well. So that's a big plus. Mm. Stats from the Wimbledon season, he was 18th for the number of aerial duels per 90 with 13.57 and was average for winning them compared to strikers who played more than 900 minutes with 35.3% success rate. I think that's a big thing because although it's easy to say that Cowley loves all his strikers to win aerial duels, they are significant for that complete forward that he wants in the mm. a la George Hurst, but who's not a complete target man, archetypal target man, like a Hawkins or a Harrison. They want those players to be a bit more than that. He was average with his offensive duels as well, which means he was whenever he had the ball at his feet, he wasn't knocked off the whole time. His success rate was 30.33% and averaged 11.79 per 90. So that kind of adds to the idea that I had from him from watching him that he's reasonable in the hold-up play. He's not a complete penalty box striker, but for me, looking at him, he's sort of in between the penalty box striker and that complete forward. I don't think he has the tools that Hurst had as a complete package, but he is not a Tyler Walker, who mm. was literally a penalty box striker who struggled to contribute to the team outside of the penalty area with his passing, with his hold-up play, with the right runs, for example. I think he can fit to an ex to a certain extent, but I'm unsure. Do you have anything to add on that, Browdy, or shall I carry on? No, I was going to say as well, like, I, I, I looked at those Wimbledon stats and I looked at the formations they played that season and a lot of the time, like they were playing like a 3-5-2 or they were playing a 5-3-2, obviously with wingbacks. And it, I think what, like, our, our system is very similar to that. And he was playing, obviously, a, a poorer Wimbledon team than what, like, the players we have at our disposal, especially in midfield. I, th I think I'm looking at the midfielders and I think, yeah, our midfield's completely, it's like well ahead of the players that he was playing with. And I think if you get more creative players, like we've got Morel, we've got Tunnicliffe, you know, it plays like that in midfield. Very, very good. And, and obviously Marlon Pack as well. Midfield as yeah. well. He, um, he, he can slot in and then essentially allow that freedom for the uh, for any other centre midfield partner who's placing him. I think that's the one position Pompey have where they have quality in abundance is the, yeah, the centre midfield behind the forwards. Yeah, I think uh, I think Morel is going to have a great season because of that as well. Because I think we we've seen his creative abilities, and I think Piggott can thrive off that. I think he, you know, if if we play a supporting striker next to him, who doesn't necessarily have to be the stri uh, striker as well, I think he thrives off it. I, I think he would, and I, obviously, I, I might be bigging him up too fast too soon, but it's quite a it's it's a good signing for us because as I also mentioned, or I may have mentioned as well, if we get more strikers in, we have flexibility with Piggott. 
and other strikers we may hopefully bring in. And obviously the way that we play probably suits him better than it did at Ipswich. Uh, and yeah, I think like, and hence why obviously at Ipswich he didn't play as much as he probably was hoping to. At the same time, obviously he's joining a better team with better players around him. Like it's, it's not like he was, as you said, he wasn't the main man at the club anymore. So yeah, like I think, but obviously we might make him the main man at our team. Because if we don't bring in obviously another striker, then he will be the only striking option we have, and he will be the player that we have to build the team around. And I think he will thrive off that. Surely, probably have to bring in some more strikers as well. Oh, 100%, as yeah, hundred percent. I was, I was just, you know, just put it out there, just in case. <laughs> I just, you know, just in case something goes badly wrong, and then we get to the end of the transfer window, we still have got another striker. And <laughs> oh god, Pickett's dribbling for that season was fairly reasonable as well. He averaged two point nine three dribbles per ninety, which is average for strikers. But with a success rate of 54.07%, that's in the top third of strikers. That was not what he was known for. Mm. He was mainly known for, his, known for his close control and finishing from several areas. He wasn't known for his build-up play that much. But what I will say is not many of them were those progressive, long dribbles that Hurst did, for example. As a comparable, Pigger averaged 0.7 of those per 90 that season compared to Hurst's 1.2 from the mm. season before. And a progressive run... It's like a progressive pass where it's a dribble across a considerable length of the pitch. Yeah. Think of it as a third. And obviously, I do think that's what Cowley wants. Is that, is that complete striker who can not only hold the ball up and link up the other forwards, but also can drive at a defender mm. and make them terrified. Because that's what Hurst did a few, like a few times every game. And that, was, and that was really good to watch. And his passes to the final third in that season were average, but not spectacular. As a comparable, Jaden Stockley, when he was on loan at Charlton, had better statistics there than Pickett did. Again, I, don't, I, I think there's space for a fit there, in my opinion. What is your opinion of, let's say we mentioned earlier, we're unsure whether there's an option to buy in that contract, whether there's an option to buy in his loan deal. Do you think that should have been included or, do, or are you less likely of that given that Ipswich aren't really fussed about whether Pickett leaves or not. Oh, as in, like, we, we don't know if there's an option to buy. Yeah, we don't know if there's the option to buy. Do you think that's an issue? Should should that have been included, in your opinion? I think I think it should always be included, but, like, obviously there's two types of options nowadays. Like, I, I've heard of... There's there's a lot of loan deals now where a player joins on loan for six months or and, and then you just buy him. Like, at the end, of, like, you agree a fee yeah, at the like end of the compulsory loan. buy. Yeah. yeah. And then you obviously got the one where it's optional. And if we got the optional one, which I think works for us, I think it's a win-win for us because if we've agreed a fee, if we said to Ipswich, we'll take him on loan at the end of his loan spell. If we're happy with him, we'll pay, I don't know, like 200k for him or something like that. I, I, I'm just making a figure up the top of my head. But if we, like, I think it's a win-win for us because it gives us the, if he has a bad season, we don't have to buy him. Like, you know, that's, we basically got a free hit. And if he has a great season, then we've got him on the cheap. And like, you know, it's, it's a win-win. So I think if if there is an option to buy it and we find out later on there is, I think that's a good thing for us. If we've if we've ended up taking them on loan for the season and we haven't given ourselves an option to buy, which I think nowadays is an, a dreadful sort of transfer clause to m- leave out, then I think we've missed out on an opportunity there. Oh, yeah. I, also, I also think Brigham is quite low risk. I mean, hmm. Pompey just playing his, playing his wages and we know the Pompey board love not really paying fees for people considering yeah. that last time they did, they got stung several times, Harrison and Marquis mainly, and then COVID happened. So they're unwilling to pay fees for players. It, it, it seems low risk to me, but I think the squad still needs more. If Pickett's the main striker, I wouldn't be upset, but I wouldn't be looking at it and thinking, 
that's a promotion side now, if that makes sense, purely yeah, on the fact that he had that season where he didn't play very much and he's also joining the Pompey squad late, whereas mm. most of the preseason has been and gone now. So he's going to have to acclimatise pretty quickly if Pompey are aiming for those playoff spots like they should be doing. But we've still got quite a few fixtures, like friendly fixtures before the start of the season. Like uh, I think that's, that. like, oh, we've got a couple. Actually, we've got one today, which uh, I don't know if he'll be involved in, but like, obviously we've got Leighton Orin and commentary just before we play Sheffield Wednesday. It gives him a little bit of time at least to get some match practice in anyway. I know it'll be a slow start. Like a, a lot of the time it is for us. Um, we, I actually know, no, last season we didn't have the slowest of starts. We actually did quite well, but then obviously it fell apart like in September. So yeah, no, I, I, I don't, I don't worry too much really because as you said, it's low risk. I think this could be essentially we bring in another striker on like big money. When I say big money, I mean we pay like a big fee for him, or we bring in some young players who like support. I think there's there's a lot of talk about Ateti. Like I don't know if he's obviously Keon Ateti from Spurs. Yeah, Keon Ateti. Um, but like he's been an option that's been banded about a bit. Obviously, he's, the rumors have cooled down a little bit. But I wouldn't mind him joining as well because you know a young strikers like is always handy to have. You can't essentially have three strikers at a club who are quite established EFL strikers. I, I don't think that works because obviously they're so used to being first team players. I think you need young players who you know, we'll be in the club for a bit, get to know like a bit of first team football, but not have too much and uh, burn them out. What about a front two of Piggott and Colby Bishop? Oh God, you excite me. That's this, uh, I, I think, you know, Colby Bishop's another player that interests me. I think he does really well at a team like Accrington. I think he's he's done very well. But then there's always the, there's always the risk with players. And I, I'm not talking down to like clubs like Accrington or anything, but there's always a risk when you buy players from clubs where you know, the, the stature of the club isn't as big as Portsmouth or like the ground isn't as big or there's not as much pressure. And you bring them into a club where there is quite a considerable amount of pressure. They don't seem to thrive as much. But then again, like it's every strike is different. Like, I mean, I'm trying to think of strikers over the years who I was... I, I, I think like, that's purely take... down to case-by-case basis. But whenever yeah, Bishop I... has played against Portsmouth, he's been a handful. Mm. And he seemed to thrive at bigger grounds as well. So I, I, I personally don't think that would be an issue. To round up the Piggott stuff, some of the analysis I went through from last season, I didn't go through all of them because, he, again, the sample size is quite small. His aerial duels dropped to 9.72 per 90 with a success mm. rate of 29.81. It is a drop, but not mental. His dribbling stats were roughly the same. And his offensive duels, he had more of them, 12.43 per 90. So he was asked to hold up the ball a lot more whenever he played. That might be because when he was subbed on, it might be when Ipswich was trying to kill off a game, for example. And his success rate there was 27.82%, which is reasonable given that there's more of them. But then again, those stats aren't as, as exciting as they were when he played for Wimbledon. And his forward passing rate was average for strikers who played roughly Pickett's time and above. That accuracy rate was 57.78%, averaging 4.21 per 90. And it's also his passes to the final third were roughly the same accuracy and the amount and his progressive passes were less accurate as well. So it's obvious that he can be what Cowley wants. In my humble opinion, there's scope there that he's able to collect the ball a tiny bit deeper, not all the way to the halfway line or something stupid, but he can drop off a fair bit. He can blink up play to a certain extent, but also has that finishing ability. I'm not sure if he has that, that technical burst to drive at players. He might not be that. And he might in some games be tired to the centre-half 
as like a traditional striker does, which can create some problems in Portsmouth system because Cali likes his strikers so his forward lines be very fluid, doesn't it? Mm. Which at Wimbledon, that might not have been the case. It might have been more basic where he was always on the last defender on the last line all the time. Considering that and rounding off Piggott's, do you think he'll be a success, Proudy, or not? I'm going to say he is. I I, th- I think we've seen him with Hurst. I think they're going to be very similar. To, like he will be very similar to Hurst in certain sight. Like, people probably won't expect much from him now, but I think he will surprise a lot of people, and I I think he will be a success. I think he'll finally be. Uh, he'll he'll become the striker at Portsmouth that he was at Wimbledon, not at Ipswich. So we all know who to blame if that is not the case now, don't we? That's, like, I'm, I'm always wrong. So like, uh, I, I tried to, I'm trying to actually like big him up for once. But if he, if he's if he gets October and he hasn't scored, then blame me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming on the show at short notice, Proudy. We obviously had to do this given just the level of news that we had. So thanks very much for giving your time, and uh, no hopefully problem. see you at Fratton Park a few times. Oh, hopefully, I, I can't wait. Like the season's the season's nearly back, and I'm getting excited again. <laughs> Getting excited, even though we have one striker. Yeah, I'm yeah. getting excited, and then a month later, I'll be like, "Why, why did I want football back? Can I just just get get the season over and done with?" <laughs> but no, there's there's nothing. There's you know what, like I see supporting Portsmouth has its ups and downs, but like I wouldn't change it for the world. And I think like that's as much as they frustrate me with everything, like transfer business or like what how they do in matches and stuff like that. And you know, you wouldn't change it for the world, and that's what uh, I'm looking forward to again. You absolutely wouldn't, would you? Uh, thanks for coming on again, Proudy. No Cheers. problem, no problem. Now you'll hear the segment with me and Football Insider Journalist Sam Stone. So we're going to talk about the big news of today, literally broken early, early this morning slash afternoon before we were recording, the signing of Josh Griffiths on loan from West Bromwich Albion. Griffiths has played in League One before for Cheltenham and Lincoln City. With last season playing for the Imps, he played in 33 matches in League One, where the team conceded 46 goals and he had two clean sheets out of that. Lincoln had the 11th worst defence in the league, conceding 63 goals. But really, you can't blame that entirely on a goalkeeper because he is highly regarded, over six foot tall, and apparently has the skill set which Danny Cowley loves in a keeper. So, Sam, you, you said to me before we before the recording that you knew a bit more about Griffiths. Can you give us the lowdown about him? Well, yeah. First of all, I think it's a, it's, I think it's a really good signing. I obviously, my job, I do cover a West Brom news site. My boss is a West Brom fan. And when it, I believe it first broke, it might have been in June, early to end of June. I think Talk Sports, Alex Crooks kind of broke it. And then he said that he was closing in on the move. But then Griffiths went out to pre-season training camp in Portugal with West Brom. So a lot of the deal had kind of stalled a little bit. But I remember when Crook broke the the news and originally he um, my my boss said this is a keeper that should probably be probably be competing for the West Brom number one shirt. Obviously, there's Alex Palmer and David Button, who David Button's quite an experienced, I'd say a veteran now for West Brom. But Alex Palmer had a, a really good season in League One. I believe it was with Lincoln, wasn't it? When they got to the playoff, they got to the playoff final last uh, in 2020 or 2021 or 2019, of those years. But yeah, so Griffiths has been unfortunate at West Brom not to be given a chance. And I feel like under Steve Bruce there, Bruce is the type of manager who's going to always kind of go for a bit more experience rather than the the, the youth kind of product that Cowley likes. And well, from what I've heard, he, he's a very good shot stopper. He played in a, on Tuesday night for West Brom. There's a West Brom 11 against Macclesfield. There's a video going around online. He made a very good double save. Obviously, considering he's only 20, a lot of experience. I mean, he's got a... He's, 
won a league league two title with Cheltenham, was young player of the year at Cheltenham, gone to Lincoln. Obviously, I think he was a bit unfortunate at Lincoln. I think that was a Lincoln side that severely underperformed last season. I think they're a very good side and I think they should have done a lot better than they actually did last year. So I, I do think it's a really good signing. I think it, this is like another step up for him. Hopefully Pompey should be competing towards the top end of the table. And obviously Cowley is, is a massive, massive factor. And I think Griffiths has looked at what Cowley did to Bazzulu last season. People can say Bazzulu came to, to Pompey and, and was already a good keeper. He, he At Rochdale, some Rochdale fans were slating him. So it, it kind of goes both ways. And, and Cowley trusted Bazunu and obviously the international stuff of Ireland as well. He turned him into a, into a £15 million keeper. I'm not saying he's going to do that with Griffiths, but he knows he's going to be given opportunities here. And I think he fits the mould. I think he's a similar mould of goalkeeper to Bazunu. He's a very big lad, good with his feet, good shot stopper. And yeah, I think it's it's a good it's a good replacement for for Bazzini. Unfortunately, we know where he's all gone, but <laughs> it's what it is. But yeah, for me, I, I am really pleased with the signing, and I'm excited. I'm excited to see how he does under Cowley's steward, stewardship, especially. I was going to say I wasn't going to mention the name of the previous keeper that was here for obvious reasons, but we're, but we've mentioned him now already, which is disappointing. Yeah, I went early. I went early. <laughs> yeah, let's get out of the way. Let's get out of the way. Yeah, might as well. But but like you said, Griffiths has a very high profile, and he mentioned in his interview that he's seen what's happened at Portsmouth with development of young players. Do you think if it was if Danny Cowley wasn't at the club, do you think he would have gone somewhere else? Yeah, hundred percent. I, I, I think Cowley's kind of developed that reputation now throughout his time at throughout his time in the lower leagues. I, I feel that that is a even with George Hurst as well last year. George Hurst developed under Cowley. We could see it. He was like a, just, he blossomed, didn't he? It was remarkable towards the end of the season. I, I honestly think that that is a big part of the reason. I, I think Cowley needs to trust in some of Pompey's youth products a little bit more. But he clearly believed in Bazunu. He clearly saw a player there. He clearly believes in Griffiths. And I wouldn't be surprised if he goes on to be a real success. And and it's clear for, for a young keeper, for young players especially, it's so important that they are playing regular football. If if they're sat on the bench, if they're we're gonna go and talk talk about Hadji Minoga later on. This is a good example, but if they're sat on the bench all the time, it's just doing nothing for their development. And I mean Griffiths, if he was going to be playing for West Brom in the championship, he should have stayed there because he's getting minutes. He'll he'll make mistakes, but like everyone, every young keeper, they will make mistakes. He'll make mistakes this season. Bazzini made mistakes. It'll happen. But for for young players, especially just getting experience in in and around the first team and, and playing regular ninety minute matches is what turns them into good players. And we see EFL players, for example, obviously Scott Twine's gone on to sign for Burnley. He, he's had plenty of experience in, in the lower leagues and been playing playing a lot of football from a young age. Players like that, they're the ones that kind of go on to, to really thrive in the Premier League and upper end of the championship. So, yeah, he, he knows he's going to get chances here. Uh, he'll definitely be the number one, very sure of that. I think Bass is very unfortunate. We are going to talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, he will definitely be the number one and it's, he's going to get football here. And then that's that's the main thing for young players like Josh Griffiths. I think a lot of people have said it's a bit of a coup for Ports of this signing. I think one of the big things that the previous keeper did here so well was that range of passing because Cowley wants that range of passing from a goalkeeper, whether it's coming out of his area to play a short pass to a centre-half or to distribute it long to the wide areas, to the wingers. Do you, from who you've been speaking to, do you think Griffiths has that and he can step in fairly well? 
Yeah, well, that that's what I've from from what I've gathered. He looks like a goalkeeper who can who's got a, a good range of distribution. I feel like he's played in sides that like to kind of play a decent brand of football. I know Cheltenham in League One this season have been slightly different, but under Michael Duff in League Two, though they're, they're a decent football inside like to dominate the ball, like to kind of, not necessarily kind of be that team that just pass, 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 but like like Pompey were at times last year, you kind of, we, we'd move the ball forward quickly and, and get the ball out wide and having a keeper that can pick a pass, put it on the head of a winger or a striker and that then can move the ball forward quickly. It, it really does help. But for me, I feel like Griffiths could, even if he hasn't got that ability yet, I do feel like you can back Cowley to really, install it until we can back the goal the goalkeeping uh coaches at Pompey to do that just to do it a similar a similar thing that they did with his predecessor in goal and that that will be I, I do trust them to do it for me. I, I think this is like a lot of the signings this summer, I'm actually quite there haven't been enough of them. And I think that's what we could all see. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be someone who's been over positive about everything because it's there's you've got to be realistic. Not not everything's great at Pompey at the moment. But I will say the calibre of signing in particular the Griffiths and Marlon Pack and Swanson. I think I think they're really that's the kind it's a good quality of player, but it's also the kind of the mold of player that they have been saying they wanted to be signing. So for me, the signings they have made have been good. It's just it's just let's see what they can do and under Cowley and see whether they can deliver. So that's the positive news about Griffiths. Now we're going to because we're Pompey fans, we're going to go to the cynical side of things with a bit of the contract which people are already very scared about. This is broken by Joseph Messi from The Express and Star, a West Bromwich Albion reporter, saying that Josh Griffiths has a recall clause of 24 hours. Un- unlike outfield players, goalkeepers can have that clause in under following circumstances, which I'll go through. As Sam mentioned, West Bromwich Albion have David Button, who pr- you might have seen him play for Brentford and Fulham, and Alex Palmer as their two professional keepers. But behind them, they have a goalkeeper called Ted Can, who is their third choice, who's played less than five professional games. With that in mind, Josh Griffiths can have a 24-hour recall clause if Button or Palmer get injured. That is to basically offset the potential of having the emergency goalkeeper, which Pompey saw in like an EFL trophy game, I believe, off the top of my head, where he had to bring in a random keeper. Uh, Was it from Sheffield United? Yes, yes. Uh, I I, I think he's doing... I think he's doing all right now, that kid, that lad. Mm. Off the top of my head, I saw in the news somewhere he's actually doing all right. It's not the championship club or something. Yeah, I can't remember the keeper's name off the top of my head, but that is essentially why that clause is in there. And apparently, according to him, West Bromwich Albion don't want to sign another keeper. His medical dragged on. I assume that's because West Brom wanted that clause in and Portsmouth didn't. But Portsmouth, you could say buckled, you could say compromised to put that clause in. Do you think it's a big deal or not? Are we just assuming the worst will happen? To to be a bit negative, I think it is quite a big deal, yeah. I think Bazunu had a similar clause, clause, didn't he? But he was, I feel like he was a long, he was like fourth choice, maybe because City had, obviously, Edison, Stefan, and then they got like some other keeper and they sat on their bench somewhere. So for City, it was very unlikely it was going to be an issue. Whereas with West Brom, if I know there's rumours of Ben Foster potentially being added uh, for Albion, but I'm not, again... Uh, that reporter said that West Brom aren't looking at Ben Foster. And that Bruce pretty much said that they're not looking in the goalkeeping market anymore. They're looking at I, other places. I mean, it, I mean, it's a gamble, isn't it? He, he wants to 
Cowley clearly want, he wanted he wants Griffiths. He wanted him last summer, didn't he? So he he clearly wants him, and he's just he's just got to trust that one of West Brom's two keepers doesn't get injured. Because if they do, then Pompey are in a, a big that's a big issue, isn't it? I, I mean, I wouldn't. Alex Bass can't be backup keeper, so I'd assume that Pompey are going to kind of do what they've done last season and bring in a another kind of like number two, someone who's happy to be number two. I'd assume, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a risk, and but it just shows how much Cowley actually want wanted Griffiths to be at the club. Again, it's not. It's not ideal, though, is it? I, I mean, you'd rather you'd rather own your own keeper, but it just seems where the Pompey are going in recent years. It's just loaning keepers, and I, I mean, they see they see it as a, you can get a young player in there and really develop them and kind of get the best out of them to really benefit the club. And I, I, I get why they're doing it, but there's catches like this. I mean, I don't know if that's why the deal. I'm not too sure if that's why the deal took a while to go over the line. I think. Maybe I, there was some issues around Steve Bruce being unsure whether he wanted to kind of include Griffiths in his plans or not because obviously he went on pre-season tour with them and then he left and there were some issues around that but yeah I mean the the the, the, the clause is, is far from what it's far from what you want to hear as a Pompey fan We every every week now we're just going to be watching looking at West Brom's fixtures see if Keeper gets injured aren't we? Yeah but I think personally you don't get these High caliber loan signings without a recall clause in. Yeah, exactly. Every, every parent club is going to have them in because, in reality, they could, in a pinch, fill in at a higher level. I don't, I don't think most managers are stupid. They know what they have in the young players they're learning out, they know what their ability is. And it's just something that Pompey had to include. I don't think it's like a major error or misstep. But I think what they have to do is preemptively lock up the backup keeping role just in case that happens. But obviously with Griffiths coming in, Alex Bass's situation again has gone completely the other way. Obviously, I think in my humble opinion, Alex Bass, I don't, he's, at, he's at an age now where he can't be the backup keeper at Pompey anymore. You either have to, if you still want him long-term, you have to send him out on loan. I think he deserves a full season in League Two on loan or you sell him. There was speculation that he was linked with Crawley Town, who were taken over by a cryptocurrency group called Wagme, and there's so much nonsense going on with that. So I think they've they've got a policy where you can only buy their third kit if you purchase their NFT and, and stupid stuff like that. We won't go into that in detail. But they are obviously being very active in the transfer market. They signed Dom Telford from Newport County, who was on our strikers list, if you listen to that podcast. And yeah, with Alex Bass's situation completely up in the air. Uh, what do you think will happen, Sam? Do you think Pompey will bite the bullet and sell him for a fee? Maybe reinvest that money elsewhere? Or do you think they'll ask him to be the backup behind Griffiths? I, I'm going to ask you the question, the question at the end as well, actually, about Alex Bass, because I always had this debate with my dad and his mate, Lee, as well, around Alex Bass and Bazoo last season. I mean, if Pompey can take advantage of Crawley Town because I mean the money they've done well to get Telford haven't they I mean that's a big coup for them and he won't be on a he won't be cheap considering the amount of goals he scored last season he's clearly on a big wage at um, Crawley if Pompey can kind of rinse Crawley for all they've got and if they're really keen on Bass then I think it's a good move and I think it's a good move for all parties frees up a bit of space Pompey get another option in there but on the whole I do feel really bad for Alex Bass I don't think Cowley can ask him to be back up again next season I don't think it's fair I don't think he will he will he wants to be back up I don't think he, he he's a he's a top keeper he is a, he is a top keeper and he's just been unfortunate I mean uh, he was entrusted under Kenny Jacket 
fair bit. He was unfortunate then as well, and with Craig McGillivy in front of him. So Bass is a really good shot stopper, 24. That's young for a keeper as well. That's really young for a keeper. And I'm, I'm going to ask the question to myself, and I'll, I'll ask you the same thing after this, but how many points would different would Pompey be if Bass didn't go last season compared to Pizzuno? And I genuinely don't think it would be that many. Uh, I, I, I don't think... I don't honestly think that Bazunu and Bass, I mean, Bazunu's a top quality keeper, but I feel like we were underestimate. We weren't, it was like we're saying Bazunu's a very good keeper, which he is, but we were kind of looking at Bass as if he just could, he was making mistakes all the time, couldn't kick, couldn't do what Bazunu does. And I feel like shot stopping wise, I still think he's a very good shot stopper. I think he can. He, he can not match at times he could match Bazunu I mean he, he wouldn't make mistake after mistake I don't think that's a keeper who back which Bass was um, and kicking wise I think he was underestimated at times and also at times last year Bazunu he, he, his kicking he often there were times where he misplaced passes so I don't necessarily I, I mean Pombe were a poor over on the whole last season was a disappointing season and I don't necessarily think if Bass had been in the side the outcome would have been too much different to what it was in my personal opinion I know it might be a bit controversial but I honestly, I do honestly think Alex Bass is a very good goalkeeper and there's clearly a reason why a lot of teams are after him and He's a good shot stopper. I mean, he's just been unfortunate the keepers he's been in front of him. Bazzini's clearly a better keeper. I'm not. I'm not denying that. But it's just in that team, in the, the structure that Pompey were playing last season, and the way Pompey were playing last season, I don't. Maybe if Pompey were pushing towards promotion, top end of the table, yeah, Bazzini gives you that cutting edge, that kind of that that moment where he'll make a, a ridiculous save or cross field pass that he does something like that. They're just it's a fine moment in a in a critical game. But the way Pompey played last season, I honestly don't think having Alex batting goal would have made a massive difference to our outcome. But yeah, unfortunate for him. But yeah, for me, Griffiths will will be the number one. Uh, I I agree with half of what you said. I'm rather pro Alex Bass. I do think he's a good keeper, and I do think he's got the potential to play in at least League One. I think he could be a first choice goalkeeper in League One. Whether he can go higher than that, I'm not so sure. But I do think that Bazunu did make a massive difference. I remember watching games at Fratton Park so many times. He would just come up with that clutch save, that clutch moment, that one pass right to the wing, which unlocked uh, unlocked the defence and then the through ball to the striker. Whether Bass could have done that, I'm not so sure. There were so many world-class saves that not many keepers at this level would have got. I think Bazunu did make a difference. I don't think he, I don't think his inclusion would have been the difference for promotion or not. There were other issues in that side, but yeah, I think I think Bass has been unlucky, and yeah, I think he needs time elsewhere to fully develop his career. And I won't blame I wouldn't blame him at all if he wanted to leave. Uh, some I of do, our um, talked oh, about this. Yeah, so um, one, sorry, one second. I do find it crazy though. I find it quite upsetting that uh, Pompey actually had the most expensive player in League One last season and we finished 10th or what was it 11th like it is just it is just soul destroying for me we had a we had a 15 million pound player in our team and we've managed to finish the bottom half or something it's quite it's quite, it's quite depressing <laughs> yeah it's, it's not brilliant is it it's not brilliant but hey it's a new season and hopefully by the first game we'll, we'll have a squad where we can be hopeful to push for the playoffs so now you've heard our thoughts on the Josh Griffiths transfer. Now we're going to go to yours. We put the question out there on Twitter to you listeners. Again, thank you so much for all those who contributed. You generally make the podcast what it is. The first one's a good person to come in, Matt Hope, said, with this transfer, it opens the door for Alex Bass to leave. 
Should we expect a permanent goalkeeper signing to follow? And if so, who is your preferred choice? Well, really, with Griffiths coming in, I don't expect we're going to sign a keeper of major experience or of major notes. I think it will be a keeper who generally is in a backup role, maybe a younger keeper like Ollie Weber. And my knowledge of young backup keepers across the EFL is a bit slim. I'm not sure if you have any names, Sam. Uh, I can't, can't really get any at the top of my head if I'm honest, mate. Um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully one from maybe a top end, top end championship club. If we're pushing the boat out a little bit, I mean, where, Ollie Weber was from Palace, wasn't he? He was Crystal Palace. He was from Crystal Palace, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm actually surprised maybe to keep him on because he's at the club. But yeah, it was a cow. Oh yeah, th- there needs to be someone who's content being a backup, but also a competent one as well in case that release clause is um, activated by Albion. Yeah, exactly. I do expect Pompey to go out and get a permanent backup choice because because uh, I don't see what other club would loan in another young keeper who's not going to play. I don't think that'll fit. And I think Toby Stewart is Stewart's too early for him. I think he's obviously highly regarded, but I don't see the point of him being on the bench at senior level when he can play at youth level and get those minutes in. So I definitely do expect Pompey to bring in a permanent solution. Tim Fraught messaged in. He said, it looks like another savvy bit of business. I trust that Danny can get a lot out of him this year. Talk about Josh Griffiths. Looking at our business so far, I like the arrivals that that have come in and the quality is pretty high. If we can get a couple of strikers of similar quality, I think we'll look good. Greg SPN also messaged in, said, "I, I think it's a great acquisition. And we definitely remember from last time that we need to make sure he is contracted until the playoff finals. I think that's in reference to one of our keepers who wasn't. I can't remember what season that was. It was, um, it was uh, Fulton. It was on loan from Liverpool and we ended up getting oh, the Wickham keeper in Ryan on loan. Yeah. We were all shopping on loan for the Plymouth game. Yeah, he was Bournemouth at the time and, he, and then he didn't play very well on that. He two shockers, yeah. But Fulton was a really good keeper. I don't know where he is now, but he was a really good young keeper. Yeah, it was not good. <laughs> no. Um, Greg had a last bit of his of his uh, tweet to us, and I think we should go through that. The final piece of the jigsaw based on the current squad is two strikers. Sam, how, do, how many strikers do you think Pompey should look to bring in this summer? Me and Hugh said two first-team strikers with a young striker as the third option with high ceiling. Uh, I was wondering what your opinion on that was. Yeah, I, I, as soon as you said that, because I, I know you said three earlier, but I do think two quality strikers I don't know if we're going to mention names yet but two real league one proven strikers mid-twenties that would be ideal and then a kind of maybe a Premier League loan George Hurst-esque someone like that or maybe a trialist who's been with the club he's been playing well someone just to kind of be as a backup as a third striker but if they're going to if they're going to use their, their wage the wage structure and anywhere it'll be on it'll be on two kind of strikers that are going to come in and make an impact. The other thing that's concerning as well is that obviously Pompey at times last season played two up front. I mean, Cowley's very fluid in his formations that he uses. I mean, any time there could be a range of formations, but at times last season, Pompey played with two up front and it's like, well, if you want, if you want to need two strikers, they're going to come in and also form a partnership within three weeks, ready for Sheffield Wednesday away. I just don't know. How it's gonna, I don't know how that's gonna. It's a big work. ask. It's an incredibly yeah, big I, ask. I, I and and you, with, yeah, you look at the push, look at the striker Sheffield Wednesday board. So that that and yeah, but I will say that that, that Sheffield Wednesday owner is throwing a purse. <laughs> He's throwing yeah. the vault at getting promoted this season. He offered he offered a heck, Michael Heckway and Michael Smith 
two key players from Rotherham's promotion side. They offered them more money than they were getting their new deals in the championship, which I don't expect Pompey to do that because Pompey don't have that sort of owner. It is remarkable though. I mean, this is just a side note and I'm, I'm sure some Pompey fans will agree with me here. Sheffield Wednesday, a lot of financial issues. Derby, the example as well. Derby had, were on the brink of extinction a couple of weeks ago. Two weeks later, they're bringing in a Premier League midfielder in Conor Hurrihan. For me, it, I don't, I don't, I never wanted Derby to go out of business. I don't, you don't want that because you don't want that out of any football club. But it doesn't sit right with me that they are allowed to go and spend ludicrous money because he will be on ridiculous wages straight away again and literally do exactly what they did that got them in the problem in the first place. It just doesn't sit right with me. I know it's a bit of a side note, but it's just, it really frustrates me. Yeah, it, it all depends on what the owners are, are willing to yeah. lose on that front. Pompey does the message in, he said, Cowley, uh, Josh Griffiths was Cowley's first choice, so we've got to be happy about that. It's a risk regarding the loan option, but would rather have our first choice in than not. It sounds like he's, it's an option that a lot of keepers on loan have, or any player for that matter with a recall clause. I think West Brom fans very speak highly of him. Looking forward to seeing him see him between the sticks. Do you think it's even more encouraging that Bruce considered Griffiths keeping Griffiths at West Brom in around the side? Do you think that adds a little bit extra? Yeah, certainly. I, I said earlier, I think he he was tempted by keeping him in around the squad, but I also think he knows he needs to play first team football this 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 season. So that's probably the reason he sent him out. I think he, if he if Griffiths was content just just kind of being on the periphery of the Hawthorns then he would have stayed but he just Bruce knows he has to play football and he I, I know what I've heard from from people at West Brom is that they do see him as a number one in the coming years um, and West Brom are, they should be up there towards the top end of the championship they should be back competing this this season so with the players they brought in already um, but they do definitely see him as a, as a number one and definitely one for the future uh, at the Hawthorns yeah, I completely agree as well. Finley Whitfield also messaged in saying it makes sense at this level to do a loan again. Griffiths is probably thinking he can get serious development here. Overall, it's a smart call. It's a shame it seemingly hasn't worked out for Bass, but that's football. Yeah, I feel incredibly sorry for Bass as well. I hope he gets the right move. I think I think from all accounts, he did reasonably well at Bradford City in League Two, and I just think he needs a full season worth of loans behind him. Martin Ratton also messaged in saying, my worry is if we now lose Bass for a small fee, it's unlikely we'll keep Josh who we get promoted. I think unlikely is generous. I think no chance <laughs> on a permanent transfer for him. So we have the possibility of starting a new season without a keeper. That is, that is an interesting point. Um, bringing in any high profile player on loan, they will go back to their parent club and then we have to go through that cycle again. Obviously, last season was even more extreme when five of our first teamers were all loans. Sam, what's your opinion on how Pompey can utilise the loan market this season? Do you think they should just go for a few options to add quality to the first team, more options to add depth, or a little bit of both? This season, I, I, I mean, I think it's a, like you say, it's kind of a mixture. I mean, in an ideal world, you've got you, you your first team is what you own. The players you develop and kind of can can sell on for profit. They're your assets, and that's ideally what you want. And then you have loan players to kind of complement that and and come in at times to fill in and uh, and almost like be when you've got like a just finding fine touching, finding it and like touching it up and stuff like that. That would be what it be for me. But I feel like that's probably a bit unrealistic for Pompey at the moment. I think they're going to delve into the loan market towards the end of the window. 
and I do think Pompey will have a maybe two, two or three players from the loan market that are actually that will make quite an impact on this, including Griffiths. I think there'll be a couple other additions that will be first team or in and around the first team really making impact this this season. Again, we I do think we're in a much better position than we were last season at this time. I think there's a few there's a lot more players that weren't here. There was obviously a lot of players that weren't here last season that have had a season with us that are kind of I I think Pompey's midfield is set now. I don't think there needs to be any additions there. So there are positives to take. But yeah, as you said, with loan players, I do think they can be utilised well. And I feel like Cowley has, obviously, with loan players, it is hit and miss. I mean, Miguel Aziz is a good example of one that's a big miss. But then you've got Bazunu is one where it's a really big hit. Hurst is one where it's a big hit as well. So you can you can really get some that, like some potential out of a loan, loan player. And I think Cowley at the moment has a decent record in picking from Premier League clubs and, and, and scouting Premier League clubs for loan players. So... It will be a. It'll be something that I think he'll go down towards the end of the window, maybe when some of his first choice permanent signings or players he's after just kind of the, the deals just don't happen, etc. So yeah, that that will be as you say. I think it needs to be a mixture for Pompey. I think a mixture is realistic. Pompey will have a few loan players making a real impact this season. I think so too. And finally, Pompey Ryan messaged in uh, talk about Josh Griffiths saying, I think he's a solid cho- choice for a goalkeeper and could see him being uh, able to evolve from League One into Championship standard as well. All in all, a great signing. Yep, I think we both agree with that. And I I, I don't see... There, there are a few other goalkeepers I had my eye on. I personally liked Jamie Cumming, who was gone to MK Dons again. He was on there from Chelsea. I really rated him. But I think Griffiths is up there as well. Bobby made another signing, which we haven't gave, gone through on the podcast yet, but we will do now. The signing of Joe Rafferty, 28-year-old right back on a free transfer from Preston North End. He signed on a two-year deal and turned down several cl- several other clubs for Pompey and this is the first time he's moved away from the Liverpool area he's moving his entire family all the way down to Portsmouth which is nice to see it shows how committed he is to this deal and Rafferty described the transfer as a great opportunity and an easy decision in football terms when he spoke to Jordan Cross at the news Sam what what was your reaction when you first heard about the Rafferty signing and what was your opinion do you think it's a good signing on a free or not can't if I'm honest I can't say I know an awful lot about him I know I played for Rochdale an earlier part of his career. I will, my first reaction when I saw signing is that is probably the end of Kieran Freeman's Pompey career. That was the first kind of thing I thought. Also, my second thoughts were potentially a signing that he's probably maybe on lesser wages than Freeman. And that could be a reason why it's kind of just balancing out the books a little bit. But perform a similar role to Freeman, but will almost come in as like maybe back up to Zach Swanson and kind of fill in at times in cup games or if there's ever injury. I just, I've got a feeling that maybe Kieran Freeman was on a fair old wage and that could be the reason why Cowley is looking to move him out, just to free up a bit of the budget. That would be, that is my inkling. That's what I've kind of got from the signing because on paper, it looks very similar. From what I've kind of seen, it looks very similar to Freeman like in terms of how he plays. And that, that, I mean, you've got the stats down there, so it might be completely different. That's just my looking at it from just kind of what I've seen, not really going into it that much, but looked a very similar player to Freeman. I just got a feeling that Cowley was maybe trying to look for another with a cheaper option in there. I'm not saying to be a bad player, I think it'd be a solid player for us, but that would probably be why he's made that move. Obviously a free transfer as well. 28, got a few years in him. I think it's a two-year deal. I think it makes sense to to, to bring him a backup right back. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing I think I, I think Swanson will be the option there. I, I do. I don't know if you agree with me. I think Swanson will be the, the starting right back, surely. 
I think he'll push Swanson. I think it'll be a situation where Cowley will probably look to play both Rafferty and Swanson to start with, try and figure out who's the first choice mm. because it might be a bit much to throw Swanson straight in initially. And I think it also depends on what formation he picks. I've dug in some analytics about Rafferty. Um, last season, he only played five games. I couldn't find out why when looking at the, um, the Lancashire Evening Telegraph. I couldn't see what, what if there was a big injury or he just wasn't fancied by Russell Martin. But from the season before in the championship, he had one, he had one assist in 22 matches playing 1,450 minutes, which is a reasonable number of minutes, I think, mixture of starts and sub appearances. He was in the bottom quarter for, for right backs on his defensive duels of just over six per 90. And his, and his success rate on that was 60.82%, which is roughly average for right backs in the championship, which is, which is fairly reassuring. He's got a good presence in the air though, which is, which is beneficial defensively. And that makes me think he can also maybe fill in at right centre half. I am a bit concerned if he has to, because I think Freeman filled in at right centre-half. I don't think it suited him at all. I think that was one of the main reasons why he personally didn't kick on. But his aerial duels in that season, we're talking about the Championship 2020-2021 season, he averaged 4.16 per 90, which is the 16th highest for right-backs in the Championship, with 53.73% accuracy, which is 14th. He's roughly average on the crossing as well. He can put in a decent ball from deeper areas. He averaged, he averaged in that season 2.67 crosses per 90, which is roughly average for right-backs, with a 32.56% accuracy, which again, roughly average compared to the other right-backs who played at least 900 minutes. That's the benchmark that I always go for, so they've at least had 10 full matches, so the data's reasonably well. But one of the big things, and we've turned... Sam, you might have known this before, or we've talked about it a lot on the podcast, a stat's called progressive passes, where which are passes which significantly drive play and move them forward, that at least go over a third of the pitch. In that season, Rafferty was second in, in a whole of the championship for right-backs. He, he averaged 10.37 per 90, and with a success rate of 77.25%, that was roughly eighth. So he can progress the ball quickly up the pitch, which is very good for Danny Cowley's system. He likes to drive play and attack. He wants to decide to attack with pace after pressing. So that little tidbit fits rather well, which basically means if he's in a deeper role, he can, be, he can send the ball further forward quite quickly and fairly accurately, but also he could be higher up as well. Overall, my opinion of Rafferty, it's an average signing. It's not a bad one by any means. I'm not underwhelmed at all, but it makes me think, well, how are Ports going to play? I think he's got the mould of a traditional fullback, which makes you think a back four is more reliable. I'm not sure on his general passing for him to be just a right-sided centre-half. I think that could create problems, which Kieran Freeman suffered. I don't think he's got the full-on attacking moulds to be a wing-back. Uh, he might be able to fill in there. But overall, solid fullback, potentially on the wages as well. I don't know what wages he'll be bringing in. But it also re is reassuring that Pompey managed to beat other clubs for him, which should calm some people down. But we mentioned to it earlier, Kieran Freeman is linked with now with moves away. This was confirmed by Danny Cowley in the news when he was speaking to Neil Allen. Freeman played 25 appearances in all comps last season, 30 years old. Danny Kelly said, and I quote, that it was the right time for him to find a club closer to home and play regularly. Freeman didn't play in a recent friendly, apparently due to a back problem, and has not played competitive for Pompey since he got injured against Oxford United. 
what is your what was your thoughts on Kieran Freeman potentially moving on and his general play last season, Sam? I feel like at times he was a kind of he was hung out to dry a little bit in terms of I, I think the injuries didn't help, especially defensively. Clark Robertson's injury meant he had to fill in at right centre half and he just wasn't he's kind of you're right, he's not a wing back, but he's not he's not a full on right back. He's kind of that mixture and because of the, the change of system, filling in at right centre half, he did get kind of hung out to dry a little bit. I don't actually think he was that much of a at first when he first started his first game. I, I thought he was a, a good upgrade on Callum Johnson. But as the season kind of progressed a little bit, I don't actually think there was much of a... I actually think Johnson was quite unfortunate to, to be shipped out in the end. But yeah, th- I mean, I didn't realise that stat about progressive passing. When he said that, I was like, oh, well, that's literally what Danny Cowley's side's kind of... That's what he wants from his sides. He wants the ball to be to move forward quickly and and he's got decent good decent success rate at that Rafferty. So that 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 was a... Different to, different to Freeman in, in that sense. I just think that it has never really worked out for Freeman at Pompey, has it? it, it he's, even when he's first stint here, it never really worked out. He's been a good player elsewhere. He's a good player at Sheffield United. But yeah, I, I, I think it's it's a good move for everyone for him to go elsewhere. And I know there's been a lot of interest in him. Still a good player, but I just feel like he's, he's not promotion. He's not a player. I mean, he's a good bit of experience as well, but is he a player that you could genuinely see making an impact in a promotion challenging team? For me, probably not, no. Whereas Rafferty looks potentially more of a player that would fit into Danny Cowley's way of playing, which is what you've kind of said a little bit, like which we alluded to, which is maybe maybe some maybe something positive to take out of it. But yeah, with I feel like it's a good balance as well. You've got kind of that experience head in Rafferty, and then you've got obviously Swanson as well. It's good. Good um, dynamic there, kind of good balance in the in the right back spot. I think with Freeman, it was just unlucky with injuries. I think he could have been the right signing, and I liked him at the time. But the injuries just took out the momentum and switching the position all the time. It just didn't work out, which is unfortunate. I do rate him as a player, and with Rafferty, I think it's a reasonable signing given the fact that the priorities lie elsewhere in um, buying players. And the last thing we're going to go over is. Hajid Madoga's spot at Pompey. Neil Allen mentioned recently that Danny Cowley prefers Madoga at centre-half, whether it be the right side of a back four or a back three. Cowley is hoping for Minoga to have a breakout season, He hasn't, but he hasn't closed the door on, a, on another loan spell and thinks if he is to go on loan, he would rather he played at centre-half because, because he has the physicality for it and his strong tackling. For me, I think he'd be a good, a good backup option to Pompey to keep around if you're being selfish short-term. But in the long term, I think he needs a league to move. I think he was playing the season at Weymouth last season in the National League, which is a good solid base. I think if he gets a league two loan, I think that'll boost his development an awful lot. And then we can bring in another right-sided centre-half. Some of the options I looked at are probably too high a calibre for that backup role. I really like Lewis Monsner from Lincoln City, personally, even though he had that dreadful injury. He seems to fit that passing mould a bit better. I also like Sam Hughes from Burton. That's another name. But Sam, what do you think of... Monoga's spot at Pompey, obviously developing. Would you send him out on loan and potentially look for another right-footed centre-half? Because even with Monoga, Pompey have four centre-halves. Robertson, Ogilvy, Raggett and Monoga, you'd say they're natural centre-halves. Rafferty could potentially fill in, like we've mentioned. What are your thoughts on that to uh, finish off the pod? Uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. It's tossing up between development, but also Pompey's needs. And I, I think... Hadji Minogue has got all the attributes to be a really good defender for Pompey at this level and potentially a level higher. Physical attributes. He's very raw. He's the definition of a raw talent. 
but there's plenty of attributes there and the fact that he did well on loan last season makes me think that another loan move slightly higher up would be good for him but if he does make a move he has to be playing like he simply has to be playing if he isn't playing he's better off being at Pompey and potentially getting some minutes at Fratton Park and, and really endearing himself to the crowd. He's had appearances for Pompey, didn't he? But we haven't really seen too much of him. It's one of them where he could end up, Cowley, if he can't secure the right player or he wants to focus on a position, it's one of them like a kind of, where he could end up being just forced to play or forced to be involved. And then you never know, his development could kind of progress from there where younger players have been chucked in and, and ended up doing really well. I mean, Ben Close is a good example for Pompey in recent years where he was kind of, uh, he, he played as like a, it was a, as a result of, of, of other issues and he ends up getting his chance and then goes on to be a decent player for us. And that could be what happens with Minogue if he just gets given a chance and he ends up having to play. But it's one of them where you don't want to tear his confidence to bits in front because we all know Fratton Park can be a pretty brutal place for players, both home and away players. So it can, you don't want that. It is about that fine balance and and try not to not to chuck him in at the deep end, but also make sure that he's playing and getting minutes. So a lone move would make sense, but again, it wouldn't be a bad option to have around, would he? I think personally, you can go over half and half measure. Yeah. If if for example this summer you're really looking at strikers and you're not really convinced by the young centre halves available to fill in, you could keep Manoga here for six months and then look and see who's available in January and then get Manoga a half season loan. At League Two, I mean, it worked last season with Hayden Carter coming in. He 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 was in the first team instantly. But I do think if we go for a back three, the depth at centre half is, I would say, questionable. Back four, I think we're just about okay. But I think there are too many other priorities in this in this to, for Pompey to get it all right. I will say that. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for coming on, Sam. It's been a pleasure. That's all right. Cheers for having me on. It's been a while, but yeah, I'm hoping. I didn't- chat too much rubbish about Pompey so yeah so thank you for listening to everybody you can you can listen to the episode on some of your favourite platforms including Spotify and SoundCloud and hopefully we'll be back to a normal service next week hopefully Hugh is recovered okay by then and hopefully we have some more but Pompey news but until next time play up Pompey you have been listening to the PO forecast for Pompey News Now available on SoundCloud Spotify and Apple Podcasts Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!